So today I've got something and uh, the Lord, I actually had something else I was going to share and God placed this specifically on my heart. How many have, uh, have opportunities every day to worry? Would you please raise your hand? <laughs> I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of how many yield to the temptation to worry. Uh, because this happens every single day. There's multitudes of things going on. And, and you know, as, as we get closer to the coming of Jesus, how many know the pressures of life? They really do increase in a substantial way. And it seems like year after year after year, the pressure just keeps piling on. But how many know God's made a way of escape for us? So we don't have to worry. We can learn to give our cares to the Lord. How many know that... Um, Worry is debilitating. It's debilitating mentally, emotionally, physically, in every way. It'll also hinder your spiritual life. In fact, years ago, Kenneth Hagin, uh, uh, as I was in Tulsa for eight years and frequented his ministry, he would frequently say God revealed to him that worry is a sin. So he would call it the sin of worry. It's the sin of doubt and unbelief. And so uh, that just framed it right there. Here's some quotes. Listen to this. Worry is a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. So the basis for worry is fear. Uh, Arthur Roach says, if encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. So how many know you got to resist the spirit of fear? How many know the scripture says God's not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, a sound mind. Worry often gives a big thing, a small, a, a small thing, a big shadow. And another person said, this worry's a futile thing. It's somewhat like a rocking chair. Although it keeps you occupied, it doesn't get you anywhere. Is that true? It's a total, absolute, complete waste of time. And uh, Charles Spurgeon said this. It's been uh, well said that our anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but only empties today of its strength. Is that true? Absolutely. And then uh, one of the founders of the Mayo Clinic uh, had this quote many years ago, worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, the whole nervous system, profoundly affects the health. You've never known a man who died from overwork, but many who died from doubt. That's a strong, that's a strong word, isn't it? Mm. And then Leo Rangel said this, bacteria and other microorganisms find it easier to infect people who worry and fret. And see, that goes right along with Proverbs 14, 30. Listen to Amplified Old Testament. A calm and undisturbed mind and heart are the life and the health of the body, but envy, jealousy, and wrath are like rottenness of the bones. And so that word envy could be translated also worry. And then Dr. Caroline Leaf in her book, Who Switched Off My Brain, said this, research shows that around 87% of illnesses can be attributed to our thought life. Isn't that interesting? And approximately 13% to diet, genetics, and environment. Studies conclusively link, she went on to say, chronic disease, more chronic diseases, also known as lifestyle diseases, to an epidemic of toxic emotions. In our culture, these toxic emotions can cause migraines, hypertension, stroke, cancer, skin problems, diabetes, infection, allergies, just to name a few. And then she, uh, then she says, studies also point to a direct correlation between anxiety, fear, heart palpitations, irritable bowel syndrome, tension headaches, and heart problems. Uh, uh, see what happens when we choose to worry? Then she said, quite simply, there's no longer any doubt that what and how you think affect your emotional and physical state. 
The mind and body are integrally related. So how many know it's really a good idea when worry temptation comes to chunk it? How many would agree with that? So I've got the quote on the sheet here, one of the first ones here. uh, Freedom from worry comes when I decide that I will take God at his word, choose to trust God and his promises, which sometimes I can't see or feel. Notice what Jesus said, and I was, uh, as I was preparing this week, I had another message already ready, and, and the Lord reminded me of Jesus' words in Matthew 6, it's also in Luke chapter 12, where he said, this is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have food and drink, Or enough clothes to wear? Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds, he said. You don't plant. They don't plant or harvest or uh, store food in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? He asked his disciples. So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Everybody say it with me. Say that, that one phrase, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Then he said, live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Then lastly, Jesus gave us the admonition, don't worry about tomorrow. So tomorrow will bring about its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. So listen uh, just a little bit further. Let me give you five things. We've got it on the sheet here. Five steps to release worry. But look at what the scripture just says about God providing God meeting your needs, God making a way for us. He says it over and over and over again in various ways. Proverbs 3, uh, 5 through 8, this is message paraphrase. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. How many are good at figuring things out on your own, right? Listen for God's voice in everything you do. That's the word everywhere you go. He's the one that will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. Run to God. Run from evil. Your body will glow with health. Your very bones will vibrate with life. Isn't that awesome? Psalm 37, 5, this is amplified. Old Testament, commit your way to the Lord. Roll and repose each care of your load on him. Trust, lean on, rely on, be confident also in him, and he will bring it to pass. Psalm 55, 22, again amplified. Cast your burden on the Lord, releasing the weight of it. Doesn't it weigh you down when you worry? And he will sustain you. He will never allow the consistently righteous to be moved, made to slip, fall, or fail. Isn't that a good promise? And then Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose confidence is in the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. Heaps the problems of life. For it leaves, its leaves remain green in the year of drought, it's not anxious, for it does not fail to yield fruit. So God's just promised even when the hard times come, if we're planted and rooted in him, he takes care of us, right? I love this, Proverbs sixteen three. This is, again, 
Amplified Old Testament, it brings out the meaning of the original languages. Roll your works upon the Lord. Listen to this. Commit and trust them wholly to him. He will cause your thoughts to become agreeable to his will. And so your plans will be established and succeed. Isn't that a good word? And then, of course, Jesus said this, Matthew eleven twenty. This is, again, Amplified New Testament. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden and overburdened, and I will cause you to rest. I will ease and relieve and refresh your souls. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle, meek, humble, lowly in heart, and you will find rest, relief, ease, and refreshment, and recreation, and blessed quiet for your souls. For my yoke is wholesome, useful, good, not harsh, hard, sharp, or pressing, but comfortable, gracious, and pleasant. And my burden is light and easy to be borne. Isn't that good? Then lastly, First Peter 5, 7, I like this. Casting the whole of your care. Then Amplified brings out all of your anxieties, all of your worries, all of your concerns, once for all on him. For he cares for you affectionately, cares about you watchfully. Some years ago, I did a research on that word casting. And it's not just the idea of just flipping something off on something. It's the idea of taking something with everything that's inside you, rearing back with everything you've got and throwing it as hard as you can away from yourself. So when he says casting, you could say throwing. I mean, giving it all you got, throwing. So it never comes back. All of your anxieties, your worries and concerns once. And then he says once and for all on him. And because it's not saying because he worries about you for he cares. That's a different word. For he cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. God's endearment towards us and promises us that when we're going through a hard place, he's right there with us and he'll make a way for us. How many think that's good news? So here's some five, uh, here's five steps to release worry from your life. How many know the busier you get, the more you should pray? That went over real big. Let me say it again. I got one. Busier you get, the more you ought to pray. Here's something that happened to me when I was in Bible school. I, um, I, uh, I read about John Wesley, and I was reading about all these old men, of, uh, men and women of God of yesteryear. And uh, <clears throat> he would take a lot of time to pray and such in the mornings. Always started his pray, uh, day seeking God. And, and he also mentioned this. Uh, he said, well, I've got so many. In one era of his life, he said, I have so much to do today. I must spend four hours in prayer before I even get started. When I read that, and I was like eight, I was 19, when I thought, what in the world? Four hours? How is he going to get anything done praying for four hours? Well, number one, he got up early. He got up before the chickens got up. And then he prayed for a good long while. But I didn't understand why he was taking so long uh, in prayer and why that was so important to him until I got involved in life and the pressures of life started coming on me. And then when the Lord revealed to me that the way you get out of worry is detail all of the thoughts that bother you, detail them out before God, then I understood what he said. How many know it's important to pray? And um, someone, I think it was D.L. Moody said, it's more important to learn to pray than to gain a college education. Now, you know, we teach our children and you ought to get as much education as you can. Do you believe that? Of course. You ought to go to school. You ought to get as much schooling as you can, yada, yada. But don't just trust the education. There's a lot of people have a lot of education and life doesn't work well. 
No, learn, get educated and learn also how to pray. But I like the way D.L. Moody said, it's more important to learn to pray. How many, you can go, you, how many know you can be as educated as uh, you can and go down? If you don't have God on your side, you don't learn how to navigate through the problems and issues of life. So uh, here are five things that will help us in dealing and releasing worry. Number one, this seems real practical and simple. Let's talk about it in a minute. Make an itemized list of your concerns. One part of freedom from worry is, is keeping things out of your mind. And uh, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I was 19 years old and a friend of mine came up to me and gave me at the time, they were popular, a Franklin Day Planner. Have you ever heard of that? And one, it was one of his little small ones that uh, at the time men's shirts had actually had pockets on them. You could keep it in your pocket. You could stick it in the back of your jeans or whatever. But uh, this person gave me a Franklin Day Planner and said, you should begin to write everything. I don't know why he came to me and said that, good friend of mine. He said, you should write down every single thing that comes to your mind and not keep things in your mind. And at the time, I was really bad about keeping everything in my mind. I was 19 years old. Uh, in fact, I was engaged to Susan, not yet married when I got a Franklin Day planner. And I, I just remember the year. And I, at the time, everything I had to do, I kept, I kept in my mind. Everything that was bothering me, I kept in my mind. Everything I had to do next year, next week, whatever, I just kept everything in my mind. Nobody told me I needed to write it down. But I found out just the idea of writing it down, an itemized list, even going to the grocery store. I try to keep, well, I got to get some eggs, some milk, some bread, got to get some soup, got to, let me see, what is that other thing? What, oh, toilet paper. So what is that other thing? You know, bananas. And uh, I, I try to remember everything in my mind. I found just writing things down. How many know if you'll just make an itemized list of the things that bother you, you know what it does? It takes it out of here. It puts it in print where you can see it. And then you can, you can start dealing with what you know are issues in your life. You know what often happens? We keep things nebulous right up here and we don't, and, and then we don't deal with them as we should. And we have underlying thought patterns that are constantly rolling, constantly moving. What you gonna do about that? What you gonna do about that? What about that? Remember what that person said? What are you gonna do about that? Why about that? What about that thing on your job? What about that thing with your child? You're constantly ruminating things. If you're doing that, you probably got a lot of worry going on. How many hear what I'm saying? If you itemize it, write it down, then take it to the place of prayer and we'll show how to get specific about it today. Uh, number two, find scripture where God promises to answer prayer. Here's a question you ask yourself. How often do you go into prayer uh, expecting God to answer because you have scripture that you're standing on that promise you that if you pray something specifically and in detail that God will hear and answer you. I mean, ask yourself the question, do you have scripture now in your mind where God promises to answer the prayers that you pray? Listen to this. If we pray and we are not for sure that God listens and will answer, we're praying for nothing. There is no basis for faith without the word of God underneath us. Faith is an educated, not, faith is not a step into the unknown. No, faith is an educated step on God's word. So how many understand that? So, you know, when you're praying, if you want your prayer life to be effective, what scripture are you standing on? I got before God this morning in my, in my bonus room, I got one little chair I pr love to pray at. And I kneel down right there at that chair and I put my bald head in my hands 
And I started praying. And you know what I did? I First of all, thank God for saving me and cleansing me. And I talked to him about my salvation and how glad I am that when I was 18 years of age, he saw fit to snatch me out of the mess I was in. And I talked to him a little bit. Then I said, Lord, can I just remind you of some things? Really, I wasn't reminded him. Then I changed it and said, Lord, can I remind me of some things in your presence? And I just went right through scripture after scripture where he promised certain things to me. See, you relate to God. How many know you relate to God on the basis of his word? How many understand that? There is no relationship with God without relating to his word. Everything we know about God, everything we believe about him, everything we know about the Lord Jesus, everything we know about the Holy Spirit, everything he's promised, all of it is contained in the word of God. The more word I put in me, potentially the closer to God I can be. That went over big. In fact, E.W. Kenyon said this in his book, New Creation Realities, first chapter, first sentence. Our attitude towards the word determines the place that God holds in our daily life. If I neglect the word, I'm neglecting God. Yes or no? And so if I want faith in God, faith in God is simply faith in the word. Here's some scripture. I'll do it real quickly here. I think, I think I have time. No, Matthew 21, 22, it's in the notes. I encourage you to get them online. Whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. How about Mark eleven twenty four? Therefore, I say to you, Jesus said, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe you receive them and you'll have them. How about John 15, 7, if ye abide in me, and my words abide in you. You will ask what you desire, and it'll be done for you. He didn't, he wasn't, here he's not saying, Lord, if it be your will. He says, what do you want? What do you desire? If you pray according to his will, which is his word, he's promised to answer your prayer. Some people go to God and they, they, they're too back, they're so backwards, they're afraid to ask for anything. How many hear that? That's common in Christianity today. Well, God's so big, he knows everything. He's going to do everything he wants to do. No, he's not, not unless you ask him. James said you have not because you ask not. Is that right? So if, you've got a, if I have a, neglect, a, a lack in my life, if there's something that's not working out, have I even asked God to do something about it? Right? I mean, pray about your marriage, pray about your children, pray about your car tires, pray about your food. How many hear what I'm saying? Pray about your job, pray about your boss. Pray about that aggravating person that lives beside you that messes up his yard and won't take care of it. I mean, pray about everything that bothers you, right? Right? A lot of people got the idea, okay, sarah, sarah, what will ever will be, will be. You know, that's not what the scripture says. If we want something, we have to ask for it. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be open. Whoever asks, receives. Whoever seeks, finds. Whoever knocks, the door is open. Well, you've been asking, been seeking, been knocking, right? So, so there's so many promises here. I love this. John 16, Jesus said, in that day you'll ask me nothing. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. When he said ask in my name, it's just, just as though he took out a checkbook and it's got, his, it's got your name at the top and his name beside it. Like my, me and my mom, I share bank accounts with her. I take care of her business. It's got Mitchell E. Horton, Jeanette R. And then guess what? Jesus signs the check with your name on it at the bottom. You know what that means? You gotta fill in the blank. 
You fill in the blank with prayer. That's really what he's saying there. Whatever you ask the Father in my name as my representative, I have everything at your disposal. All you've got to do is set it in motion with your prayer life. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. You know what he's saying? Fill out the check. Sign your name. I'll back it up. Right? Ask and you will receive. He didn't say maybe if I want to, maybe if it's my will. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Is that good? Then 1 John 3, 22, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things pleasing in his sight. Lastly, 1 John 5, I love this, 14 and 15. This is the confidence we have concerning him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. How do you ask according to his will? Pray the word. Pray according to the word. Is it the will of God for your bills to be paid? Is it the will of God for you to have food on the table? Is it the will of God for you to prosper in your job? Is it the will of God for your marriage to be successful? Is, is it the will of God that you go through life in peace and joy and love? Well, then pray that way. And he says, if you ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, whatever, everybody say whatever. whatever. Say it again. Whatever. Say it again. Whatever. whatever we ask, we know we have the petitions We've asked of him. So, you know, if you've got that kind of, if you've got those kind of promises underneath you when you pray, then how many know you can pray with confidence? You can pray with expectation. And if you ask for a certain thing, you can expect God to answer. Now, the answer may not come, you know, uh, Friday at three o'clock, but eventually, just like your paycheck comes, but you know what? Eventually, if you stand in faith, God will answer that prayer you pray if you believe it. How many believe that? So, so ask yourself that question. Do you have scripture? Find the scripture where God promises to answer prayer. Number three, in prayer, pour out the specific details. I'm gonna slow down a little bit here in a minute. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. I've read this so many times to you. J.B. Phillips translation. God gave me this back in, I think, 1983 when I was going through a great struggle in my own life. And, and I just love the way J.B. Phillips translated this verse. Don't worry over anything, whatever. And it really spoke to me. Instead of worrying, tell me specifically what to do. Tell God every detail. Everybody say every detail. See, of your needs in earnest and thankful prayer. And then look what happens. And the peace of God, which transcends human understanding, will keep constant guard over your hearts and minds as they rest in Christ Jesus. That is, tell him every fear, every concern, every problem, every issue, and go into detail about it. And I'll just be honest with you. One of the challenges I've had in my life is I tend to be a perfectionist. I hope you don't have that problem. I want everything a certain way. Everything's got its place. Everything's got to go like this. I'm expecting everything. And how many know life is not like that? And so because of that, you get constantly disappointed, upset, aggravated. How many know that's true? And God's had to hone the rough edges off of me because of that perfectionistic twinge. And then I can never please me. A perfectionist is not only is a perfectionist dissatisfied with everybody else, they're dissatisfied with themselves. And they're their harshest critic, yes or no? And so if you're a perfectionist, then if you've got lots of busy time looming before you, you know what your mind does? It goes into overtime, right? So let me give you a little story. This happened uh, 
Lord, this is about, about 20 years, a little over 20 years ago, I started doing a lot of traveling, and, and uh, some years I would try to take three long-distance trips a year, long-distance meaning to India or Africa. I've been to Siberia twice, I've been to Latvia, but I've been to India and Africa a lot, and when you go to the places like that, that's over 10,000 miles away from home, and so you're going to take long-haul flights, and the way I did it, because we were busy, had a lot going on, had a fairly heavy schedule of missionary work to do. I've been all over India, mostly in Africa. I've been to Kenya and I've been to Ethiopia. We've got six churches there, you know. But anyway, getting there was just a busy, busy trek. And so we never would stop overnight anywhere. We'd just travel straight through. And sometimes it would take 40 to 45 hours. Uh, I mean, travel time, including, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, stopovers and such to get to our destination. She's just dog tired when you get to where you're going. So, so guess what my little mind did? What, here's what it started doing when I first started traveling. It's like my mind said, now I, I got to catch that flight in Raleigh and then, then I got to go to London and, or I'm going to, uh, uh, I'm going to Germany or I'm going to Switzerland or, or I'm, where am I going? And, and I'm thinking about every part of the flight. Now when I get there, let's see what's going to happen. And my mind would play the what if game. Well, what if I don't get to the airport? What if the traffic's bad? What if traffic's backed up on 40 uh, when I'm going to the airport and I miss my four? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if I get there and something's wrong with my passport? What if, what if the agent doesn't like me and they make me take all my stuff out of my suitcase and delay me? And what if I don't go on that first flight? And what if, what if, what if we're taking off? What if we're taking off and, and, and we get up in the air and, and, and what if, what if, what if, what if a bird hits one of the in- engines and we got to do an emergency landing? What if, what if, what if, what if? And what if we're, we're, we're cruising and, and we're headed, you know, we're headed to the first sl- flight to Washington, D.C. And, and what if, what if lightning hits the plane? What am I going to do? What if, what if, what if? And what if, what if we're landing? And what if he's going too fast? And what if he forgets those flaps over there? They the slow the engine, the stuff. Down. And what if he forgets those reverse thrusters? What if, what if, what if, what if? You ever done that? Huh? My, my mind did, y'all, I know it sounds crazy, right? I mean, crazy, it's crazy. You know, the statistics are it's safer to fly than it is to drive your car. But my mind would hijack. And, and then when I got to destination, now I got, I got to go through customs. I got to go, well, not through customs, but, you know, several flights. Well, I got to go through security and I got to go here. And, and what if they do something? What if something happens? There's a, there's a big delay. What if a big ball team with 200 or, or 500 people are there and they're all ahead of me? And, and what if, what if, what if, what if I just barely scrape in? What if, what if I miss the big bus that's going from one terminal to, what if, what if, what if? You get it? Right? What if? I, I mean, my mind played the what if game. I mean, my Lord. And then going, what if going through customs, they see something wrong and they want to interrogate me? What if they put me in jail? What if, what if, what if, what if? What if, what if, what if, what if? And you know what I started learning to do? I learned that if I'll take all of those what ifs and I'll go into detail. You know, for me, as a, a renowned perfectionist, I put my mind at ease. And then I learned if you've got a heavy schedule and you've got things planned months ahead, pray months ahead. Why do you wait till the last minute to pray about anything? Why not pray about it ahead of time? And then beyond that, I pray with my mind, but I'm baptized with the Holy Spirit. I pray in other tongues every single day. And when I pray in tongues, I'm praying the will of God. So what if you do ahead of time, you do all your mental praying and spiritual praying, praying in the Spirit ahead of time so God can get involved in all of your affairs. You know what I found out? I started doing that. 
And it cured me from worrying about those long trips. Now, that, that I do that in every area of life. And now, I don't care where I'm going when I travel. I pray for the pilot. I pray for those that are maintaining the aircraft because some people are stupid. Right? And I don't want anybody stupid working on the plane I'm, I'm flying on. Right? Right? And they'll sign their name when they didn't do something they should have done, right? So, I mean, I'm serious. I pray about, I pray about the whole thing. I pray about getting to the airport. I pray, I pray about the parking where I got to park my car so I can get there on time. I pray about the attendant. I pray about how my bag, you know, leaves. There goes my bag. I say, Lord, I'm going to see my bag when I get to wherever I'm going. And I say, I believe it. I pray about it. I pray about for the pilots. I pray for their sleep. I pray for their alertness, their mental acumen. I pray. I, I do. I, I, I go into detail. And then I, I ask that we'd have a, an, an easy takeoff, cruise, and landing. And then when I go to get to destination, whether it's going through security or going through a customs agent or, or finally at my destination, that I'll find the people I need to find. Y'all, I've been on dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of long haul trips, long destinations, and I've done that a lot. And you know what? It cures the worry problem. Now, what if you take that to every area of life? What if you take that to your job? You've got a sales job. If this is a big deal, your boss wants you to make this sale and the pressure's on you. Well, go into detail. Pray about everything. Pray about your approach. Pray about the person. Pray about how they receive you. Pray that there won't be personality clashes, that you'll say the right thing at the right, right? Or if you've got a business, I've started businesses. I know how that feels and the pressure's on you all the time to perform and be your best. What if you pray about every single thing? What if you pray for your children that way? Some people have children and aren't doing what you think they ought to be doing. What if you take and, and, and detail that and ask God to work specifically? What about your friends? What about your spouse? How many hear me? What about your own person? What about your life? What about your, the aging process as you go through the eras of life? How about pray it on out? Pray it through. If you'll detail it, how many know you can get rid of worry? The only thing it takes is T-I-M-E. Now I understood. When I started, when I grew up, became an adult, got busy, started pastoring, started ministering, started trying. I understood why John Wesley said, well, today I've got to take four hours. Now, you may not need to take four hours, but you know what? You can take the time that it needs to take to detail your life out. How many think it would help you? How about the rest of you? Huh? So is it worth it? I can tell you. I mostly live in the peace of God most of the time. And if I ever get agitated, it's probably because I failed to take the time I needed to pray about a situation. How many hear me? I'm telling you, it's a wonderful thing. So in prayer, pour out specific details to God. Number four, thank God by faith for working the problem out. Set Set a mental image in your mind of seeing the problem completely solved. I love saying, uh, for 2 Corinthians 4.18, New Living. While we don't look at the troubles we can see now, rather we fix our gaze on things that can't be seen. Things we see now soon will be gone, but the things we can't see will last forever. I've been doing this, I don't, a, a long time, most of my life. How many know God gave you an ability to imagine things? Okay, think about a hot air balloon. Do you see it? Can you see one? Uh, think about a big ship. How about a 787 airliner? Can you, do you see it? 
Okay, you can, you can imagine anything you want to. So what if you take that same power of thought and of imagination and put it on the positive and when we pray, what if we imagine ourselves with the answer? I mean, that's what he said. While we don't look at the troubles we see now, he said we fix our gaze on things that can't be seen, that we don't have. Now, I've done this all my life. We've had uh, one, two, three. This is our fourth building at Victory Church. And every single time that we've had a new venue, a new building, you know what I've done? I've sat, in the, I've sat on one of those chairs, folded my arms like this. I prayed and said, God, work a miracle, and then shut my eyes and see it. When we were on Garner Road in a, in a little lap board, uh, board building, Built in 1884, I sat there and I saw a new auditorium and we sat there one day. We got, in, we got in the shopping center and then we were in the shopping center. I sat there and I saw the new building I believe I received and we sat, I sat there one day. I sat over at Aversboro Road. We were there for 11 years looking around for property, me and the board and I. And uh, I'm just giving you a for instance here. And, uh, and I said, God, we gotta have more room. And I'd close my eyes and I'd see lots of space. Lots of building, plenty of land. You know what? We're sitting there. See, if you can see it, you can have it. So, so see, your, see your marriage being restored. See you and your wife closer or your, your husband closer than you ever have been below, before. See your, see your wayward child walking with God. See the money that you need sitting there in the bank and you've wrote, written the last check out for your bills. Say, look at all that I got left over. Well, my goodness, I can give, Right? See your business prospering. How many here see yourself leading people to Jesus? How many know you can use the power of imagination in a tremendous way? How many agree with that? Yeah. Thank God by faith for working the problem out and then settle mental image. See yourself. I do that all the time. If I believe in God, I'm expecting. Last year, I, I stupid, I mean stupid, just stupid. I picked up something that weighed uh, in, ex, in excess of 150 pounds like that. Because I'm the big beast of, you know, crazy, right? I hurt my back so badly. Y'all, I've never hurt that way. I mean, it hurt to live. And you know what I did? I said, God, whatever, whatever I need to go through to get over what I did, help me. He did. And you know what I did every day? I, I asked him to heal me, but then I saw myself well. I saw myself walking without a limp. I saw myself walking free. I saw myself running. I saw myself riding my bike. I saw myself smiling because I wasn't smiling then. Saw himself well, right? Number five, every time the thought comes to your mind throughout the day, remind God that the issue is in his, is his now and it's not yours and thank him for working it out. How many think that's a good idea? I'll never forget this. I'll close with this. Uh, years ago, uh, Susan and I again lived in Tulsa for many years and I would frequent Kenneth Hagin's meeting. I heard him tell this story so frequently that it just bore witness with my heart. He was pastoring in Texas and, uh, and uh, he was teaching on worry and, and fear and all that, you know, and, and talking about casting your cares on the Lord. And, um, and he said a lady was in his church and, and her, uh, her son was just not doing well. He was hanging out with the wrong crowds. He was running away at night, staying gone all night long on the wrong side, you know, hanging with the wrong people, doing the wrong stuff, drugs, alcohol, just mess, sex, just mess. And she couldn't do anything with him. And by means, she was always had her prayer request. Oh, God, pray for my child. Pray, what am I going to do? Always worrying about her son. She heard him talk about many of the things I'm sharing, you know, casting your cares 
And, uh, and he mentioned that when he cast his care, it's no longer. How many know when you give something to someone else, it's not yours anymore? Amen. Yes or no? I got my phone. What if I give my phone to you? Do I have that phone now? Can I get it back? If I give, give me my phone back. If I give it away, it's not mine anymore. If I give it away, it's whoever I gave it to. Well, when I cast, that's that word cast. When I cast something on the Lord, it's no longer mine. That's what that, that lady learned from Kenneth Hagin. He, he gave the story, and you know what the lady did? No kidding. He said, he said uh, she said, Lord, I lay my son at your throne. I can do nothing to help his life. She would beg him to go to church. She would fuss at him for his life and ask him where he's been every night. You know, he was just a mess, upper teens, just a mess, just a mess. She finally said, God, I give my son to you. Beginning today, I no longer have a son. He's not mine. He, and she went so far, and it sounds crazy. Here's what he said she did. He said she went so far when people would say, well, how's your son? She said, well, I don't have a son. And the person would say, well, you're crazy. I know you do. He's such and such an age. He lives with you. She said, no, I don't have a son. Well, you're nuts. She said, no, I don't have a son. I gave him to God. He's his, not mine. She worried so much about him, she had to go to the extreme in even the way she talked about him to make sure that she didn't take the problem again. And so she said, uh, uh, Brother Hagin said that she kept doing that week after week after week and startling people, I don't have a son. And uh, casting the care, thanking God for working out uh, uh, the problems in her son's life. Uh, to the point that the son would come in on Sunday morning. Early in the morning, she would hear him come in. Three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning. Knew he'd been up, you know, messing around at night. And she would always used to get on him and say, well, son, you need to get up and go to church. She said, and she never did. She stopped even asking him to come to church. Because he's not her problem He's God's problem. She wouldn't even ask him to come to church with her. And uh, she says she totally left him alone. He's in God's hands. She stopped badgering him. How many know sometimes the worst thing you can do when somebody's not living the way they should is constantly get on them, constantly tell them not what they're not doing. Is that right? Huh? So she said, I just left it all alone, left him in God's hands. And he got up one morning after being gone on. Mom, aren't you going to invite me to church? He said, no, I'm not going to invite you. I think you need to stay in bed and get your sleep. That was her way of saying, he's not mine, he's God's. And you know what happened? That boy ended up coming to a church meeting one weekend. I don't know how far later. Giving his life to Jesus. Changing who he was. Because as mama learned to cast her care. She learned to give up the worry. She learned to itemize it, give it to God, and leave it there and see and act like God has done what he said he would do. How many believe we need to do that today? Stand up on your feet. Did you get something out of that? My, my.